Welcome to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's episode is with Blair Beveridge. Blair is a really good friend of mine. We go back really, really far. And uh, not only that, he's actually part of one of my games. So part of this episode is you get to listen to us kind of talk about encounters that have come up in our games. And he gives it the player perspective and I give it the GM perspective, which I think is a really interesting and cool thing. You guys would definitely enjoy Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is my good friend Blair Beveridge. Blair, will you please introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, my name is Blair Beveridge. Uh, I am the podcast creator uh, as well as an actor on the Harley Human podcast. And uh, I also do some Twitch streaming. Uh, Don and I have been good friends for a while. Not only that but he's also one of the players of one of my main state games. So this is going to, yes, this is going to be a very interesting episode for those of you to listen to, because we have a lot of history and a lot of in-jokes, which I will try to explain if we end up having to talk about them. But before we jump into all of that, player, let's go back to the beginning. What's your introduction to RPGs? Uh, so this, this is a little twofold. Um, first of all, the main introduction for me is actually RPG video games. I played a lot of them, Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, um, you know, along, you know, those Forgotten Realms games. And I, and I always loved them. I always was a big fan of them when they came out. Icewind Dale, that was the other one that I think now is just they released a source book for. Um, so the, the video games were my very first uh, stint into that world. I did try pen and paper once with a friend of mine um, from way back in the day, the Star Wars RPG. And I, you know what? I had one of those really horrible sessions where it was one-on-one, and I rolled D20 five times, and the highest number I rolled was a three. So it was just like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. And incredibly bad luck spurned me from, from the genre. Uh, completely unfair to the poor guy who was running the session, who you know planned out a bunch of stuff for me. But at the time, that was my opinion. And then, frankly, um, you know, just getting back into the fold, I, I just it started gaining a little bit of popularity. Critical Role show was starting to become a thing. I used to moderate it, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. Um, and then I just thought, you know, maybe I want to try this. And, and one San Diego Comic-Con 2016, um, Classy Don said, all right, let's roll up a character and bring it out and we'll see if you like the game or not. And there was a couple of us that was their first game. And, well, I'm hooked. <laughs> About as hooked as you can get. Well, yeah, what was uh, so I think I've referenced this multiple times if you're listening and you heard me say this on other podcasts and allow me to say this again. But one of my uh, biggest moments, not the first time I played an RPG, because obviously that came years, years before fifth edition. It was kind of when fifth edition was still in like a beta phase uh, was the first time I ever GM was that San Diego Comic Con. Mine was not actually the 2016 one that Blair did. Mine was exactly a year before then where I did my first kind of improv to GMing. So I had those same people came back as well as some new people like Blair come down. So I decided to make like, I called it a con campaign, right? Because, oh, well, it started at a convention and like the entire city that was created, Meridian City, they had had a festival called the Tread of Soul where, you know, people wore masks and pretended to do stuff and you had festivities and meetings and food. It was basically me just pulling from everything outside the windows of the like rented Airbnb or whatever that we had, right? Just to come up with an improv idea. And I just kept running that game. So Player coming into it was a, a thing that was really, really fun because I already had a group of people who had played the year before. And then I had you and Jonathan, another friend of ours who had never played. He came down into uh, California to do that. So I was pleasantly surprised to see it catch fire again because for all – for I think everybody but maybe I think Adam or one of the other persons at the table on 2015, they had never played before. And then uh, – yes, sorry. Let me uh, Let me say that better everybody at the table had played once or twice ex- except adam and i think uh lauren or heather were new I, for- I forget who that other person was and then you came in the next year and the same thing you and john were new so i got to kind of repeat that experience and you guys enjoyed it and i was pleasantly surprised what did you like the most about it though blair i'll, I'll be honest with you most of the reasons why I, I wasn't really drawn too much into to pen and paper 
uh, RPGs before was it just seemed so very complicated. Um, I lived with uh, you know a guy who a roommate and his brother uh, for a while, and his brother was was a was a GM. He he ran a game. Um, he, I mean, he's run various games, but at the time it was uh, Vampire the Masquerade, and I I would watch it, and it just seemed like there was so much rolling of dice and so confusing. And, and, and I got lost in the whole mechanics of it all. Like, when I was playing my video games, the game would do it for me. So I never really had to worry about those sort of things. I got to focus on the story. And then 5e came out. And I think 5e might have been, at least for players like me, the best thing to happen to Dungeons & Dragons. Because then it was simplifying the roles and really, for at least for me, focusing on that story. And that was the story that really drew me in. I loved being able to tell a story with my friends through this this mechanism through this this you know form of of art this form of uh of game that that's always been the most important thing to me was was the story and building a character and and that and, and I kind of drew that a lot from what I was seeing on critical role like yes they were rolling dice yes they were doing these these grandiose attacks and battles and whatnot but it was really about the character development and um once I you know I saw that and play there and then I experienced it within a, you know our game it's like, yeah, this is something I'd like to do. So it was all about just kind of really simplifying the dice mechanics, not making it too simple, but also um, not making it overly complicated and really focusing on the story. Well, you have played as RPGs before, though, so you've already had this kind of ideas and mechanisms down. What were those characters like? Obviously, different systems, right? Not all everything is D&D uh, adjacent, right? Uh, well, I, I've only played one other pen and paper, and that was the Star Wars one. Before oh, I meant game. RPGs in general, because oh, I know you mentioned yes. your intro being RPG gaming. So, like, what was yes. your kind of – are you a healer? Are you a tank on those types of games? Or? I always end up playing Ranger. Uh, I can tank. I can heal. But range – there's just something I've always been – have this affinity to the Ranger class. When I played WoW, I played a Ranger as well, and I played World of Warcraft uh, for quite a many years. Uh, I just really loved that kind of ranger, uh, you know, mystique to them. I think that honestly goes all always back to Legolas, who was my favorite character in the, you know, the Tolkien series. Um, and I just really kind of loved to embody that kind of in touch with nature and really still, you know, you know, the art of being able to shoot a bow right with the accuracy that Legolas does is is phenomenal. So. I always was pulled to the Rangers, and I almost always played a Ranger class, no matter which one of these games I, I tried, at least at first. After my first game, um, or first time through, I would try other classes, try, you know, hybrid classes, or healing classes, or, you know, tanking classes, but it was always with that range first. Um, so it was very strange for me when I started your game that I chose Druid. I saw Druid as a character that was a little like that elf elven ranger i usually play but also a little bit different i think i wanted different on this on this go around because i wanted to dive into another aspect of of what it is i i i playing a druid in a video game is always way different than playing it in pen and paper where i find playing a ranger is very similar like they they cross over very easily so um i have absolutely loved playing this druid uh, he's a ton of fun. You can think outside the box. You basically have the ability to do a lot of different things. None of them, not not one thing super, super well, but being able to be universal and being able to slot into any slot, which was very important to me because early on we didn't really have a tank. And then, you know, I had to be a supplemental healer at other times. Um, and then when I get to do the damage, it's just that much more, you know, gratifying. So I love the versatility of the class. And uh, I've just really been enjoying it. And I think there's something, because I've had more than one person now who started and their very first character has been a ranger or a druid. Those two are very kind of popular for first characters. And I think what, I think maybe one of these appeals, because I'm trying to figure out this hypothesis, right, as to what it is. For a lot of people, it's like you mentioned, versatility, because the idea of like, yes, I can Druids, and we're talking about D&D right now, for those of you listening, Druids are, you know, associating with spells as well as shaping wild shapes so they can switch into animals and they can be this kind of support role in the back line or they can be up front. But I also think there's something else to be said about this character that written kind of in and of itself is this almost like kind of distance from having to be social or having to be forward with uh, knowing all the lore and stuff like that, which... I know for a lot of people when they're coming to the game and maybe they're not comfortable 100% with role-playing or mechanics in the system, they like this thing that has a kind of 
intentionally written out for why they don't get that reference or that phrase or what's going on or th that they don't have to speak up at the moment whereas let's say you played like a bard or a very like forward like leader like fighter type or knight there's you have to have a backstory there you have to have forward-facing kind of charisma and role-playing that a lot of people are uncomfortable with if this is the first time playing a tabletop rpg you know yeah no i, I think that's a fair statement um i mean those those characters those kind of um nature-based characters are known to be a little less um in touch with a world if you will so you don't have to understand the world i think that's a very good assumption um for me i've always had this tie to nature and and so that's why i've i've, I've drawn to both of those classes i mean i do have a, a ranger that i do play from time to time and i wanted to play him much more different than everything i've video game so he's he's basically an asshole um there's no i mean i, I played him with don on a one shot once he's a dick um and it, it's it's funny it's fun a little bit but it's i don't leave the game with that same sense of ah like when i when i play my my druid character um at the end of it, it it's he's a little bit me and a little bit me personified large which i think a lot of people um that's what they do they they put they have to kind of well i don't think they have to but i think a lot of people put a little bit of themselves into their character so they can like relate to them and, and really make it easier to play that character. Uh, our first session, I, I came, I was like, oh my god, I, I have this guy who's got this really dark past, like every probably RPG player ever, um, and he's he's gruff, he's this and that, right? Like, right in a fluff, you know, easy, oh, I had a great life. Not really. Anyway, uh, not, not, not something that you can chew on, but I came forth with this very sarcastic and on the on the session one, I basically realized I had the exact same personality as another player in the game, and immediately our characters butted heads. And, and you were like, both first time people. Remember that? Uh, yeah. So like, or first or relatively young to the game, and that's what I thought was so interesting. It's as as somebody who had been playing it for several years up until that point, I kind of knew where you guys might go. So when I mean, there was two of you who were kind of in direct opposition to each other, but let, I'll say there's at least, you know, half of another character at the table who had a similar curmudgeon sort of attitude. So I was like, automatically, I was like, okay, there needs to be something, there needs to be a character change or a character sort of realization or turn because this sort of uh, similarities are just going to create a feedback loop that's not fun for I don't think anybody at the table as well as me who's going to propose propose an idea, which I did. I proposed an idea which is kind of farcical and funny. And because everybody was very like stone-faced uh, and hardened and dark and gritty, they're like, no. And I was like, well, we're going to do a quick segue and uh, improv my way out of here. Yeah, no, and, and, and you know, part of me feels bad about that. But another part of me goes, even now, I don't think my character would want to do that. Um, and, and you know, I do appreciate you know the work you put into that, especially now that I've started DMing myself. I know the amount of work that goes into these sorts yeah, of Yeah, I definitely want to jump into talking about that. But before I jumped into that, actually, I wanted to talk about you had this experience early on and it didn't work out. And maybe it would have been you know, better if the dies for some reason were not in your favor and you had a great time as opposed to feeling like you were contributing. But now I, that you come back to – sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. But now that you come back to it, you're an adult. And what's interesting is – I think you'll have an appreciation for maybe the role playing and the world building, not to say that younger people can't do this, but I think you have more life experience, which is what you can contribute to the way you play. However, on the flip side, I notice what happens a lot of times with adults is they get hyper conscious when they play this game because I've run games for now people who were, you know, full whitehead past their sixties and, you know, single digit, you know, kids. And the one thing I love about kids is they don't second guess themselves. They go immediately off impulse, and if they're if they're having fun, yes, they're going to continue down the path. If they're not having fun, you're going to find out real quick. So you got to react. They're they're but they're super super honest, and they don't beat themselves up. I find that so many times I've played with people to where they then apologize for a character decision, or they apologize for like, man, I was thinking too much, like a person I should have been in my character, like. And I know that sounds kind of oxymoronic, right? Apologize for being in character, apologize for being out of character. But the point is you don't have to apologize here. We're all kind of in this, again, I know it's a very loaded term, but I'm still going to use it because it's the right term to use. We're in a safe space when we're at, at my table. So go for it. You know? Sure. And, and you know, um, I do think there are lines in D&D &D in general. And I know that's not what you were meaning, that people shouldn't cross. 
Um, and you know, something I think sometimes people cross those lines and blame it on their character. And I, I don't like that per se. I mean, you gotta be, you gotta be at least aware enough to know that what, what, what is too far for your character as opposed to too far for society. Um, that, that, you know, I don't want to dive too deep into that, but like, I, I've apologized to you for character choices. I mean, you've always been, nah, man, that's fine. And a lot of it is, you're right. I just, I'm just like, I don't want to ruin the dynamic. I didn't, I felt bad that you built this whole arc that we just, I didn't clue in because I was new to the game. I didn't realize you were pushing us towards this thing. I just thought it was an option and we thought, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to do and that. And that's not a bad thing, too, because remember, as a DM and, and GM and whatever, you know, the term is in your game of choice storyteller, is you have to live in a world of verisimilitude. So I have to have you buy in. So if you feel like, oh, I'm railroading you or this is, guys, this is obviously a plot hook he wants us to take or she wants us to take. So let's jump on it. Like that does break the verisimilitude a little bit. So if your character yeah, – no, I, I agree and I would have done for those characters because those dark gritty characters were not down for a farcical laugh. They wanted to save the world. So what did I introduce – um, you know, big shout out to my good friend Dusty. I actually took his character and I made him an NPC because he had a similar thing. Dusty played a ranger first time out, kind of that same kind of naturistic, standoffish, not very charismatic thing. I was like, perfect. He would uh, 100% tune in with these uh, these current party build. And then he's obviously somebody who wants to save the world and save, you know, humanity in the local village. So when he gives them a, a tale of something that's a lot more, um, let's say, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot more heroic than you know, funny. They they took the bait for client sinker. That that was Fox, if memory serves, something like that. Yes. Yeah, I remember. So I, I think that was a really good plan B, and I didn't. You know, you're right. I when when I played in when I was in my twenties, the first time I tried. By the way, folks, I'm not a young man. I'm in I'm, I'm in my mid forties. I'm forty five. We don't judge here. We don't yep. judge, dude. But when, when I first, yeah, just to provide some perspective on on some of my you know, going back in the day stuff. But uh, yes, when I tried Star Wars, I think two two things really kind of put it off on the on the wrong foot for me. Uh, for me, not not for everybody, it was first of all, this was, I was a solo session. I think that was a big strike against for me because if I would have seen other people rolling well or rolling even average and seeing that, oh, look, look okay, and then dynamically we can play off each other, I think I would have had a much better time. But because... It was a one-on-one session. All I had was my own failures. Like there was nothing positive about the story that was going forth. And like my GM was very much saying, this is not normal. You're, this is absolutely horrible. He'd said all the right things. And he was, he was, he was as good as he could have been in that situation. Just at the time, I probably went in thinking this was going to be dumb anyway. And then I, you know, I just let that feather through. So if, 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 you, if people are going to try this game at any age, just go in with an open mind. Don't do what I did <laughs> back in my 20s where I was like, this is probably going to suck, but I'll try anyway. That was basically the attitude I went in with. And it's very easy to convince yourself that something isn't going to be good when things don't go 100% your way. Um, just a I, life I, lesson in general. I will say a benefit, though, of coming in as, as an older person because I didn't get into RPGs until my tw- – well, I didn't get into tabletop RPGs until my – uh, mid twenties when I you know started really getting into them and running games of my own is uh, I had an idea of who I was and what I wanted to play not like in a weird sort of like self realization way but I knew like okay I like dramatic I like shades of gray I like their world to have consequences you know this is the media I watch and listen to and read so I know when I want to play a game this is the kind of story I want to tell so right off the bat I can come to a group and be like hey guys here's the realm I'm very comfortable with so if you guys are comfortable with that we can do that if they're also you know adults like 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 I am then they might also know like hey well I I know I don't like this or I know I've had bad experiences with this because of something that happened in my past so that dialogue a lot easier to have than when you're a kid when you're a kid you kind of throw everything at the wall and then you very quickly can find out you can hurt somebody's feelings unintentionally just because you're you're throwing everything at the wall so i will say when you come into this as an adult there's a greater appreciation of who you are and what you want to do and what you the game you like to play i also will say this uh having 
because what I've said on this podcast before is I, I at conventions I will run like Adventures League games will come in if they need help, especially at some of the larger conventions, the San Diego Comic Cons, the Dragon Cons and things like that. So you get a lot of first time players there who are just interested as to what this is. And I usually uh, am running the uh, intro to D&D session because that's the type of stuff to where I, I think. I think I think that I think I can help these people have a great experience and probably or possibly set them on a path to this awesome hobby, which has benefited me and me and my friend group so much. So I love doing that session and I love it when adults come in because they might have some sort of notion of what this game's going to be like. And then when they find out it can be many things, they go, well, this is kind of how I want it to be like. And then immediately I get to react to that and I can be like, cool, let me twist and turn this in a certain way. Also, because those intro sessions, uh, as I've talked to obviously with one of our previous guests who was a uh, head of uh, Southern uh, region D&D stuff, it's very rigid because you have to have X amount of you know hit points per your class and you have only X amount of you know, magic weapons per the adventures you run. So you can't really do that in a standard Adventures League game, but the intro games are very open-ended. And that's where we, as the Dungeon Masters, have the ability to really get those new people hook, line, and sinker because we can immediately react to, like when I have a six-year-old at my table, I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta play this game differently with that six-year-old. And then when I have you know somebody who's 60 years old, I'm like, all right, I'm going to play different for them. So I have that freedom, which is really, really nice. Yeah, I mean, two th- two things uh, I wanted to touch on uh, what you're talking about. Uh, one, um, when I was also in my 20s, I didn't really have a creative bone in my body. Um, I was still very much somebody who just wanted to get max gear, max level. There was there was just all about doing as good as I could. There was there there was no. I didn't really get into my creative side until I was in my 30s, and I think that's why the game started to appeal to me because it started to appeal to that creative side of the game as opposed to it just being a number cruncher. Um, and, and uh, uh, oh God, I forgot the second point. This is what age does to you folks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, number one is, is definitely I wasn't ready for this kind of game until I was older. Like in 2016, oh God, well, that would have made me 41. So that's, that's my first game, 41 years old. And, um, you know, uh, right now, I remember what I was going to say. If you ramble long enough and your old things start to come back to you. Uh, <laughs> but um, the thing that I really liked about it, and, and this is a true testament to you, Don, is is that the rules are there, but as long as they fit the narrative, they can be flexible, which I think is a mark of a good DM. It's not that, you know, you can't do that because you're, you're trying to do a power move that'll end the game. No, is you are within the narrative of the story trying to do something that technically you may not be able to do um, at this time, but I'm going to allow it because it's good for the story. And that is something you've d- done with my character a couple times that I've really appreciated. Well, the phrase I'm probably and, and it's funny is I now that I record my sessions thanks to COVID, uh, because everybody's not playing online, all my games are now online, and all my sessions are now being recorded for me for my kind of note keep note keeping processes. There we go. Old age, you lose your tongue apparently. Um, I noticed very quickly one of the phrases I say all the time is justify that, and and what I mean by that is. Just if this is maybe bending the rules a little bit, or maybe this is outside of what a mechanic allows me to uh, to do or you to do, I need to justify that in the world that we're playing in. So one of the things that I, I appreciate that compliment, it means a lot to me, is I always try to push for is like, you're right, there isn't an ability on this monster that lets me do this damage to you or lets me have this effect on you. But because of its darkened past and upbringing and dealings with demons in the abyss, or because of you know the expertise and years spent doing whatever, as long as it's justified in story, you'll accept it. And I think we've seen that all the time uh, with, you know, negatives, of course, coming from that. But maybe we're, if you're part of a fandom and then you you you, you might have an onlooker who sees something in, in your fandom and be like, that doesn't make any sense. But you're like, no, 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 actually, there's a lore reason for that. There's a whole book that tells you or like there's a whole comic uh, or a whole game where you learn this, which justifies this. The benefit of being in a role-playing game is we're creating that for ourselves. So at any time, and this is what's great in certain systems like like Fates is one one of the systems, uh, Fate Core, Fate Accelerated, whichever is your preferred version of that game, to where you have a lot of the aspects that you can keep blank until you then decide, like, actually, I want to justify why my character is able to do this thing. And you have this dialogue between you and your um, GM. So that's something I've, I've obviously incorporated from all these other systems and put into my game. So... 
that's that's also my suggestion to you all is is start thinking of your world not just as the mechanism but start thinking of it as the overall story you want to tell and then justify things that go against the grain yeah and i think in both cases um you know i i was leaning heavily into my character and and you know their their past and their backstory and their traumas and 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 just you know in this last like literally we left i i got to use a skill um that was i was about to level at the end of the session it was my last play but i hadn't quite leveled yet and he he allowed me to do it because it just worked well with what we were doing and um you know it's not like i asked to cast wish when i was a level three it's it wasn't anything like that um but just just little things like that really kind of sunk at home where me as a player i'm like he didn't have to let me do that but he did because it was it was in the story it was important and it really kept the flow of the game. Um, you know, I really appreciated that. He allowed me to switch into a bird form as a druid when it was too early because I was creating a, a humorous moment. Like if you're creating the memories and the story beats and the things that you talk about, the 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 kind of the takeaways that you get where you're just like, you remember that time when um, that that's a mark of a good DM because uh, most of my big big things wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for those things. And I'll I'll say this, you hit the nail on the head when you say remember that time when. Another tip I, I was given by a good friend of ours, Dan Wallace, who, who's been on this podcast before, was a long time ago, was to ask your players to recap the last session. One, to make sure obviously they're taking notes and paying attention. But secondly, uh, more importantly, is because you then get to find out what's memorable about the session before. So pay attention to what your players are saying because that's the stuff that sticks in their minds. And if it's comedy stuff, lean into it. If it's dramatic stuff, lean into it. If it's a cool item that they're super jazzed about or uh, frustrated that they lost, like these are all hints. And there's so many tools in just like that's one tip, but there's so many tools in, you know, having surveys with your players at the beginning and maybe periodic points in the game to find out where they're at and how they feel about puzzles as opposed to loot, as opposed to combat, as opposed to RP. I mean, Jennifer Kretschmer uh, has a survey which I have taken the template for and I give to my sessions uh, sometime in you know either the intro or midway through just to see like temperature check where are we at what are we liking what are we not liking what are we going to see more of if, if you're not comfortable obviously with having just an open conversation at the table or after the session to do that and I wanted to ask you then uh, with all that when did you feel or do you ever feel now comfortable at the table or do you still have some of those nerves or worries and I don't I, mean I am, for like me not to kill your character because I sure. obviously want you to be uncomfortable <laughs> about that. Of course. Um, in general, yes, I, I actually feel way more comfortable now. Um, I think I uh, get the basics of, of, of how um, my character works, how the game flows um, to the point where I feel a lot more willing to kind of stick your neck out a little bit, go for those those kind of deep story beats that you know, you may, maybe I wasn't doing early on. I was playing very conservatively. Like when, when I brought forth that character, as I mentioned earlier, and it's got the same personality as, you know, one and a half of the other characters in the campaign. I was like, okay, I got to switch this up. We can't all be this guy. So I ended up lightening the mood of my character because there was two different ways I could have taken him based on this backstory. And I said, okay, well, I tried it. I tried the first way. Everyone else went that way too. So let me try the second way. So I, I lightened up my character um, and, and it's helped. I think it's helped tremendously, uh, f for that. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I got comfortable, um, probably about just before COVID times, I think to the point where, and I, and I fully admit this, and I know this is complete bad form, but I wanted to see how he was playing it. Uh, we were fighting a boss and I'm like, Oh, from the description, I think it's this, let me see what that boss's attacks is just to see how my DM is playing the character. I know that's bad form as a player. I just, at the time, wanted to see how a, a DM thinks through a battle. I wasn't using any information. I swear to God, I wasn't using any information to, to, to drop this thing earlier. But it was, it was very interesting for me to kind of sit in the middle of the movie and almost seeing the director behind the screens directing the cast on how they're, you know, supposed to be playing this out. And at that moment, after I did that, I sat back and I'm like, I, I guess I've now seen both sides of the curtain within a fight and I realize that I'm not as lost as I thought I was. You know, I'm I'm not as, as you know, I, I'm not going to screw this game up for anyone. Like, we had a character death 
pretty early on in our campaign, and we had another one a little further in. Like, we just hit what was it level eleven this last session, and we we've we've had two character deaths. Um, and uh, you know, I'll be honest, man, I don't want Fail to die. I don't want my character to die. But in the same breath, if he must, if as long as the story's good, I'm I'm more okay with it now than I would have been before. Yeah, and that's funny because as a as a GM, I, I can only speak for myself. This is my style of jamming. I know some people who feel like it's kind of a, a GM's right to kill a character, and there's like a a point that should be made uh, that that you know death is a very real thing, so you should kill characters you know often or frequently. I don't live by that. I actually live on the player side. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, I'm always on the player side. I want I want them to survive every battle. Every time I throw a monster at them, yeah, it's frustrating when I don't get to use my awesome abilities or they get you know pounded faster than I, I wanted them to because you know excellent uh, teamwork or because of you know how powerful my uh players are but at the same token like the story doesn't continue if they all die i mean it ends so i kind of want the story to go just because i'm just as interested as they are to find out what happens next however with that in mind you always have to put your characters still at this point to where they don't feel like it's a cakewalk. And that's the balance challenge, right? And you talked about feeling comfortable once you got to see kind of behind the screen, as I call it, right? As you kind of looked behind the screen and, and saw like how many mechanisms and things are working back there and how I'm changing and morphing uh, a monster or a combat to serve the narrative purpose, then was that something – was you getting more comfortable with that the onus of you to run your game, run your own game, because I know you'd run a game before. What was the San Diego Comic Con where I kind of voluntold you to run a game, your first ever game, Blair? Yeah, San Diego Comic Con was uh, was my first time DMing, one hundred percent. And I, at that point in time, I knew I wasn't ready, but I was like, okay, you're going to learn something today. These are people that have never done this before in most cases, so just go with it. They're they're as inexperienced as you are. And I remember I was very, very nervous that whole time um, going through that. It was, am I doing this right? Am I screwing it up? Am I ruining their first experience? But you got to start somewhere, right? So I, I, I did that first time DMing. I think I did okay. The story got to the end. I eased up on the characters. Frankly, they all should have been wiped out earlier because they just weren't really following the story beats correctly. And I was like, well, this, the point isn't to kill them. The point is to get them through it so that they have a good experience. It's an intro class. Uh, so I did that. I, I let them get through. I, I gave them healing potions when there were none to give. And uh, and they got through it. And they seemed to walk away. And they, they liked it. And I was like, I think that's the point right there. It is not that you as a storyteller get your story shoved down somebody's throat. Is that regardless of how it ends, they walk away going, that was good. That was cool. I liked that. It was fun. And... Um, you have to have levity in a game. So you can't have it where they all live all the time. It's not that they, you know, don't get hurt. Like our party knew that we were in for something big the first time we faced a real dragon. We spent an entire session planning the fight. We didn't actually fight. I felt so bad for you that day. <laughs> no, actually those – so you, you say that, but there's been a couple times in the multiple games I've run where my players have taken a session or two or three just to do research and reconnaissance and battle planning and upgrading weapons or buying new armors and those to me sell how bought in a team is or a party is or you know a venturing group is because the the thing that the closer you get to feeling like, oh, well, this is real life, so I should be doing this. Like when people say like, all right, I'm going to send this letter to my family just in case I die, right? That's an amazing role-playing moment, but also like, wow, you're really in your character's mind right now because you know that this is a game and you don't have to do this, but you're 100% in that character's mind to be like, no, 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 a dragon is a awful, horrible thing that kills everything. We're probably not going to survive. Let me have my peace with my family and my loved ones. Or, you know, oh, no, a dragon's a horrible, awful thing. Well, I will research the, the for every tome about dragons and weaknesses and whatever color associates with whatever damage so that I can get a, the right potion or the right armor or wand or spell prepared for that day. Like, that to us is... Yeah, you bought into the world. Yeah, you care. And, you know, the thing you mentioned earlier about, like, looking up the stats, like, that would have given you the same insight. But when you do it in character, we feel 
like that's so much more worthwhile because then I can tell you, and I've heard of GMs who do this, by the way, who if a character goes through and finds the tome or the book or the bestiary or does the high enough role to learn that they'll turn around and hand them the monster manual and be like, all right, well, you have a minute with the monster manual for that monster. Take what, you know, whatever notes you want. And that's what your character knows in game. And while that's a very bold thing to do, literally hand over your weapons and, and show the party what you're about to fight. That also to me sounds like the perfect way to do it because if they've committed in game, then they should have the advantage. So just give them all your weapons. Tell them what they're about to encounter. And then when they win, and if they do win, obviously there's still going to be a challenge. But if they do win, don't feel bad because they earned it. Yeah, I mean, our, our first dragon fight was, was with a green. And we have a character in our party who had, like, a link to this character. So we knew the type of, you know, attacks to, to be expecting from this dragon. So um, as a character, I knew, okay, this, this is a green. This is a poison-based dragon. Um, I can do this elemental thing that's immune to poison because my character knew that great. Now, the next time we fight a, a dragon, I'm not going to have that knowledge. And and I think the key thing, I don't, I've gotten really hard on myself to, to stay out of the metagaming world because as you learn more about the world, the more you can metagame, but the more you shouldn't, I guess, is really what it comes down to, at least in my personal opinion. I mean, everybody plays the game for different reasons, but for me... I want my character to go in with the knowledge they should have and not the knowledge they shouldn't have. Um, and so I always, you know, sometimes I ask my DMs, like, hey, you know, what do I know about this thing? I don't want to make an assumption because Blair knows doesn't mean that my druid knows. Um, and, and you know, you've always been very good with that sort of thing. And uh, we got through that one by the skin of our teeth, frankly. Uh, I spent the whole whole... <laughs> whole fight basically raising the healer <laughs> like all i was doing was healing the healer because as a good battle would go the dragon went after our cleric um you know thankfully you know my elemental was up and he was doing a bunch of damage and you know the other damage dealers were doing a significant amount as well and and quite frankly guys if he'd gotten one more breath weapon we would have tpk'd 100 because we were literally on the edge the whole time and he just he rolled poorly for the breath weapon. So, uh, <laughs> well, th- I mean, th- there's too many die rolls there to say one way or another. But yeah, it would have been definitely harder. But what I think is a, a funny kind of takeaway for me now is because you know, kind of coming back to the line of, uh, of thought I was having to go with. Now that you've played for so long, and in your first session, mind you, like I said, I kind of force you into assist me with helping out a lot of newbies who never played the game before. And you had an you had an established adventure. I, also, I want to give credit where credit is due. Always on my podcast, the adventure was a wild sheep chase by the Reddit user The Rainy Days. By the way, you guys can find that for free online if you'd like to. Um, it's a fun adventure, which is funny enough for fourth and fifth level characters that's what what's so interesting is there technically were only first and second level characters if i remember correctly the game so no way they should have been doing this adventure anyway but i by the kind of name i'm sure you've picked up it, it the sheep are in magic and you know polymorphing is involved so it was already a kind of a light game so i i told you and the other gentleman elias who was also on this podcast before that when they were going to run that i'm like absolutely change it on the fly absolutely like tune it down because this is kind of not where there should be at but play up the fun play up the levity have a good time with it because it's also talking sheep and mages and polymorphing trees right no i I think as both a dm and a gm and a player you got to be aware of the game dynamic like i since coming back and really enjoying this did play once with another group and had an incredibly poor experience and had absolutely nothing to do with some of the players and absolutely nothing to do with the dm there was one player in the game that just, it was about her, and everything was about her, and she didn't want to pass the ball around. There was, there was, you know, none of the other characters really got to get involved. It was always just her, and, and you know, that that's a difficult situation, because as both a, a player and a DM, you got to, you, you're like, okay, we have a problem now, and we have to address that problem. How do we best do that? And I guess I'm going to throw this to you as as the interviewer. I'll I'll, I'll take your cap for a second. Uh, I'm sure in your time DMing that you've run across a player that does this, where you know for some reason they're just they're it, they need to make it about themselves the whole time. They're not letting the other players get involved. How do you address a situation like that? First thing to understand is the intent. So I, I'll tell a quick tangent story 
to again get back to your question, I sat in as a player one time uh, to support another DM who was running intro games, uh, or sorry, I they ran intro games as well, but then they were running official a, a Adventures League games, and I sat in to support them and uh, say what's up. And I sat in with a game with somebody who had a, a disability, um, so their disability. Um, prevented them from understanding social cues very, very well. So super, they were like, they were super into their character. They're super interested. And they're like, and my character's going to do this. And then they're going to do that. And if they say anything and like talking over the DM and stuff like that. And similar experience, actually. Uh, interesting then. Uh, that is very interesting. So mm-hmm. in that situation, I a hundred percent knew the intent of that person it was not, negative and they just didn't understand like oh well look you look around people want to have an opportunity to play with your character or assist your character aid your character or, or interact with that npc so i i was because i was close enough to the table i kind of turned over and said hey is it okay if my character does this to you and it looks like these other people want to do something too i kind of wanted to subtly in, in, induce this idea that we should be doing things together as a group so when you're, it's an innocent thing like that. I always say work it out in RP because that way you can kind of bring person as character involved. Because obviously this individual with a disability was super into their character and was a hundred percent bought into the story. It's just they were so bought into the story that they weren't seeing the real people. So I was like, okay, well if they can't notice the real people, then let's have the you know avatars start you know interacting. So then you can notice the avatar. However, on the opposite token, now if this is something to where I think the person is coming at this from either maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they don't like the the root of how things are going. So they're trying to kind of stomp over other people's momentum or maybe the GM's momentum and it's really kind of hurting the table there. That's where I will more directly make a note about, you know, if they're talking over somebody, hey, could you please talk? I think, you know, X was trying to talk or Y was trying to get a word in or, you know. If it gets to the point to where they're being very crude and rude, you know, there's the warning, obviously, that comes from like, hey, you know, what you said was was not was not cool. Maybe chill, and if it's continued, then like, either send them either a subtle message. If we're now on the internet, it's great. We can send private messages to people, and uh, I, I I never want to get to the point of like fully stopping a session. Um, I, I've done that only once where I, I took a, a, a really kind of sudden break, which I said was kind of a water and like a restroom break. And then I pulled the person aside. But usually I'll wait until like if, if I haven't nego- navigated that problem through the first two kind of avenues, I'll then immediately the session after be like, hey, I need to talk to you, you know, over Skype or uh, or in person after, you know, before you go to your car and you leave, because what you did hurt the game and hurt other people's feelings. And I, I, I noticed, you know, like, what's up? Can we talk about it? Because like it's 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 easy, it's right, to say like, hey, if you don't wanna uh play along, like I'll kick you out of my game. I really don't want to get to that point. And I've I've been in games where I've lost people because I didn't actually address the problem earlier on. So now, while I, I don't want to be super dramatic, I want to give the person the benefit of the doubt, I will hundred percent that session afterwards talk to them about it because I've been I've you know you you learn through your mistakes. I lost two, three, technically three people in the long run from a campaign because of one player's insistence to go against the grain and make the story about themselves and also say some gross things, which I should have cut out and stopped immediately. I let them kind of fly with because it was their character. You know, I wish you guys could see my air quotes, right? It was their character, but their, but regardless of what their character was doing, the other human beings were uh, not liking it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a delicate balance by, you know, I love the ability to get lost in a character and something that I wish I could be a little better with like when i when i see these on these online games and you know watch not just critical or other games but these people who disappear into their characters are great i i always have a foot in reality still and i think you need to be able to do both at the same time you need to be able to if well and you know it's easier for the these these actors or these people that do this stuff for a living or a little bit more in touch with that sort of stuff but Always kind of keep a foot in the real world, no matter what you're doing. Realize, you know what, what I'm saying in character might be okay, but in real life is not okay at all. So don't say it. Um, this is a game for fun. This is a game for everybody. And I think that's also a big key thing there is this is a game for everybody. Allow everybody to have their beats. Allow everybody to be a part of a session. Like sometimes a session focuses on, on you. It happens, especially when it ties into your backstory. But, you know, if it does on one session, maybe take a step back in the next one. Let let other people shine. You know, it's happened in our campaign a couple of times. 
there was one that was very much about me. And then the next session, I basically blended into the background um, because I want everybody to, to have that same experience um, that I had. Pass the ball around. Let it be a team game. Um, but, you know, stay with the story. I, f I feel like what people tend to do is like DFI things that are very successful. And I think Critical Role is absolutely a fantastic, you know, um, live stream uh, RPG show. And they're all amazing actors and players in their own rights. But I think a lot of people have this, um, like I said, this kind of deific, kind of blown up idea of like all these decisions are spontane spontaneous and perfect. And that they're really free form, like jazz musicians, where I think people for need to understand like, they went through acting school, which teaches you rules and how to interact with people and not to s jump or step on somebody's lines unless like maybe there's a real important reason for your character to step on their line, right? It teaches you about like personal space and the importance of waiting your turn and knowing when you're the important person in the scene, when you have the spotlight and when you're not. So like people, I think, tend to forget and just assume that that's going to be innate. So maybe at their table, they're, they're anticipating everybody to play like they've had 10, 15, 20 years of experience interacting, you know, with with characters or being in front of a mic and expressing emotion through just their voice and characterization when in actuality like and this is a great little quick tangent if you don't mind me there's a great little bit about uh, Pablo Picasso who was uh, in a cafe this is in his latter part of his life he's in a cafe and he's just drawing on you know the napkin as he's uh, drinking and he's about to throw it away as the waitress comes over she goes oh could you could you please just uh, let me have that uh, a sketch of yours I, I'll buy it from you right now and he goes okay fine uh, $60,000 or you know whatever it was pesos or whatever it was in Spain at the time and she goes wait what that's absurd. You did that in one minute. He goes, no, I didn't do this in a minute. I did this in 60 years. It took me 60 years to get to this point to draw this little bit on this napkin right here. And that's what those shows are. Like, I, I know this this term, again, is another one that's uh, invokes passion, the Matt Mercer effect, for those of you who don't know. Uh, there's this belief that because people watch Matthew Mercer in the Critical Role game, that they have this uh, false or kind of bloated expectation of what a game should be. So D&D is then uh, um, kind of a loss for them because not not every one of their uh, other players is amazing at voices and characterization or being witty. Or their dungeon master cannot do thousands of accents and voices and has music and you know a, a full crew uh, working on them. And to that I say, like, actually, no, you, if, if that's the type of game you want, Go to school for, you know, acting and then become a voice actor and then meet friends who you have a great rapport for for decades and then have a crew which is taking care of you. And like you see the point I'm getting to, right? Your expectations are, 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 are failing to understand the reality of the situation. If that's the type of game you want to play, then you have to have all those things. If you want to play a game that's really into role-playing, where people really get into character. Now, that's the true thing which you're trying to take from Critical Role. That's very easy. That just takes people being comfortable and safe at the table to commit to, hey, I'm going to try an accent. I'm not good at accents. You guys, uh, my players, all know this. I am not good at accents, but I will try them as much as possible. <laughs> and Yeah, yeah go and ahead. It, as a player, though, I think we get it. Like, I, I hope you don't think, you know, get too down on yourself on that. But yeah, I mean, you, you just give it your go. You're right. I don't think there's, there's a profession in the world that is, could have prepared them better for this game than the ones they all have. Like these are, these, these people are all leaders in their industry, in the voiceover community. And they, they all are playing this game together. It really is the perfect storm of a perfect cast. Not only that, they're the best of friends. To, to have all of those things is like lightning striking. Um, Critical Role is a great example of what a beautiful table can be. But it, by all means, if your table isn't living up to that, don't worry about it. Just just go out there and have fun with your friends. Go out there and play a game with your GM. They're doing the best they can. Trust me, to, to, to GM DM a game, you, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. There's a lot of prep. There's a lot of stuff. Um, as I mentioned, I'm now wading into these waters myself, and it's it's funny as a player, your prep is maybe uh, half an hour. Take a look, remember where I am. Okay, yeah, this is what I'm going to do today. As a, as a DM, and and you could probably speak better to this. My my prep is two to five hours per game, and some of that is just checking things and whatnot. But yeah, two to five hours per game. Yeah, I mean, I I've heard I've heard people say the correlate one to one, right? If it's going to be a three hour session, at least three hours of prep. Uh, and then I I actually am way more liberal with the idea of the term prep because if I'm working, 
uh, like, you know, in my day to day job, but I have music on the background uh, that I'm putting on for the intent purpose of, you know, okay, I want to use this music in the game. I want this music to invoke a feeling. I want this music because I've created entire kingdoms just because I heard a piece of music, maybe an 18 second snippet, which then triggers this like sort of like fire, which then blossoms into fire that blossoms English fire, which then burns an inferno into this idea. Right. So like that's part of my prep. That's part of my prep. My, you know, it's not just digging into the dungeon master's guide or monster manual and picking out the monsters or being like, okay, we're going to be in this part of the world. And if I haven't already filled out this part of the world, I need to. And it's, it's reading books sometimes about things and then picking up like, oh man, that's a great idea. There we go. That's part of the prep. That becomes a part of your world. Or, you know, hey, I hear I'm hanging out with my friend and then they mention, you know, if they happen to be into nerdy stuff as well. Like they mentioned this really cool game, this really cool mechanism or this really cool character. That's part of my prep because now I've learned and I'm going to contribute that to my table. So, yeah, you find yourself taking from everything around you. And what is also really great about this podcast is I've learned you find yourself pulling from the weirdest and most obscure places to add to your game. Like for me, accounting and economics is a big part of, you know, where I went to university and the profession I took. So I found my games have a bent to that. It's very economics based. It's very geopolitical, you know, socioeconomic. I talk about currencies. Most people don't care about that. I talk about markets. (laughs) He says that, (laughs) but like but that's part of like one of the, the benefits, and this is what I think it makes everybody's table so special and interesting. You might come to my game and be like, I've never cared about why one thing's called Arana and another thing's a soul and another thing's a crown and why this weird nation's talking about this fiat paper I owe you money. Like that doesn't mean anything to you, but to me, that's something I can give to make the world seem more real. However, I would love to go to the game of somebody who, let's say, was a renaissance uh festival like uh you know uh, uh, uh what do they call them a merchant or somebody who makes you know medieval armor because they're probably going to know the hell difference between a gambeson and a jerkin and you know half plate versus you know full plate and like they're probably going to have so many things i can tell you about rapiers and hap- uh, halberds and the stuff that I don't understand as well. So maybe that becomes a whole part of the game. Like your weapon is very important and very customizable or your weapon gives you benefits and, you know, um, cons or something like that. Like there's so many things that you can pull from that. I, I think even, even right now, like that I'm talking to you, it feels like prep because I'm partially picking your brain to see what you like. So then I can maybe mess with fail that way. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know what, go ahead. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know as, 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 as a player, you learn to, or at least this being my very first play uh, uh, PC that I've ever made, um, I'm really trying to learn how to properly play. At first, I brought a, you know, I, I as I mentioned, I, br- I brought a, a Persona, which didn't work, so I changed Persona, and I like this new one better anyway, so it works better with my backstory in a lot of ways. Then I took a look at the character. Well, what's this character going to be? Early on, I'm like, I thought I had to be a tank because we didn't really have a true tank. So I was in bear form a lot. Then once our fighters got up to a higher level, I was like, okay, I don't really need to tank anymore. I can perhaps help the healer out a little bit. And then, you know, I went into more of a DPS and kind of extras role, if you will. Um, and, and I love the versatility of the character. So I was able to kind of lean into the different aspects of them. And you, you start to build this character and, and build the personality and, I think a lot of the times I was having an issue with is I was building the character and are sorry, building, yeah, building the character, what he can do and not so much of who he was. And that was very important to me to really establish um, him as a person. So like I, I did a session where I basically um, had this big traumatic experience to a character death that we had earlier on. And I just, out of the blue, I decided I wanted to mourn it. So I, I did that for that session. And I think I caught, yeah, the players off guard because it was such a big swing in that opposite direction to what I'd been previously. It's like, okay, player, be more consistent. So I, I then I looked at my character sheet, and my character sheet says sometimes likes to be mischievous. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap, I'm not. I haven't really done that. So then I started leaning into that a little bit. Um, so you know, really kind of build those characters out, try to stay true to them. And 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 one thing like I will give. Um, Travis Willingham, full credit on um, from the Critical Role show. He had a character named Grog who had an absolutely terrible intelligence score, and he always made the decision Grog would make, even if he knew it was the worst thing for the party. He did it all the time, and I just I have so much respect for him as a player that he never varied from what his character would do. 
And I know it's so easy when you know it's the wrong thing to do um, to just not do it. But if you're staying true to your character and what your character would do, stick with it. Play the character. And if it ends up going badly, then that's a story to tell. Um, I also felt my character was very precious. Like, you know, don't take this thing away from me. Don't hurt this character. And I think you've got to, you got to, if you can, not have that focus because then you will start having your decisions change. Um, are you hearing the sirens? Maybe I'll stop right there. You, you were good. They were very faint there. But so like there's a couple things I could talk about there. And one of the ones I do want to quickly devil's advocate is this idea that um, you didn't have a part of your character figured out already. I think it's totally fine to and I find myself as I get older uh, and play more and more of my games I find myself giving less backstory in the beginning to characters and then finding them when the moment arises and this is obviously coming from a guy who plays mostly as the dungeon master so maybe this is a caveat that I, I rarely get to be a player but when I do create even an NPC you know there's a bullet point of you know important things like maybe visual descriptions and their title and maybe the relationships with certain people and how that's going to tie into the story. But then if the characters like that person, now I'm finding that, well, maybe they have this in their background or maybe they have this preferences and stuff like that. Like you can find the character when the moment arises because whatever is, and now as, as if you're a player, obviously, you're not going to know who you are at level one, at level seven, at level 12, you know, on session one or session zero when you're prepping this character, right, in, at home. But when you do get to level seven, eight, 12, whatever, and something comes up and you're like, you know what? Actually, no, I think they would be like this. They would react to a situation like this very strongly. And then you might say because of what happened in the, you know, two months before or because of what happened in my backstory. And that's totally... Uh, a valid way to do it because also you find yourself not railroad you find yourself railroading yourself sometimes if you have too big of a backstory and my very first character i ever had at the uh, table uh at, not digitally but at the physical table when i played in campaign was that i gave this two and a half page backstory with these temp it was a monk so i like had these various temples and the various parts of the world and i wanted to be tied to this overall plot and the dm didn't really want to play with that and i was upset and i was kept trying to bring that back and you know it, it's you know two sides to every coin dm was trying to run one type of game i didn't want to play that type of game maybe we should have talked about it on the opposite side you know, I wish he had incorporated my backstory a little bit because I, I really liked creative. You know, this is my first character. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a game master at this time. I'm just trying this D&D thing out. I'm like, yeah, I really, really got super creative. I create these monks and these traditions and the certain names and rankings of their various, you know, and I, I got none of that back. And it felt like somebody had, you know, like crushed. I mean, I, I'll say it. I'll be honest. Somebody did crush my feelings because I created something and they were like, no, nah, I don't, I don't think that's cool or interesting. I'm not, I don't want any of that. And that hurts. Yeah. And, and as I started DMing, I, I, um, I think this is where I got a little less precious with, with, with my characters was, um, like you're basically creating a character that's got to be completely dynamic. Yes. They got a, you know, if you're working within module or whatever, you, you got framework in which they're supposed to be, but like, you just can't put the time and effort into your each NBC. I mean, maybe you can. I don't have that kind of time. But you, you basically go, okay, this is how this person is. This is kind of their touch points. This is their attitude. Go. And you have to have like 10, 15 sometimes per session of those type of people at the ready, depending if they're getting called on or not. And you got to keep them all in your head and, and all this crazy stuff. Um, for, for any new DMs out there, and I am still very much a new DM, uh, these roll twenty modules have been really helpful to me. Um, so you get you get the visual representation, you get the tokens, you get the story beats, you get the breakdown, the stuff that the players can see, the breakdown of stuff only use the DM can see. Um, you know, getting into DMing is incredibly intimidating. Uh, I did the first game as we mentioned earlier at San Diego Comic Con. Um, I felt like I was thrown into the deep end. I could barely swim. Um, then I started a game with a friend of mine and his two kids. And I'm like, okay, let's start here because this is really not that big a deal. The kids aren't going to know if I suck or not. And, and I trust my friend enough to not, you know, poke holes in my stuff and in, in my, in, in, in what I was doing. And quite frankly, it went very well. Um, 
and, and, and DMing for little kids is di- very different than DMing for adults. And then I went to, and I started an adult game very, fairly soon after that, um, with a lot of my friends from back home, which are all, they're all around the same age as I am. So they're all playing for the first time in their later life as well. And they're, they're really enjoying it, but it is definitely two very different kinds of games. Um, but the module works for both. I found you just that little bit of structure, give people the visual element. I mean, theory in the mind is, is wonderful. But I think, especially for, for newer players, that visual element helps a lot. So now that you are running your own games, you know, and you've heard this joke, I'm sure some of you listeners have heard this all the time about like, you know, parents being like, oh, well, you don't know what X, you know, life is like until you've had a kid and people being like, oh, come on. Or you don't know what it's like until you pay bills or whatever your your version of that is. And then you do that thing and you're like, oh man, I can totally relate to my friend now or, you know, my coworker now on this token. Um, what's one of those situations that you've had to where you're like, geez, man, if I knew it was like this as a GM positive, you know, I, I want to hear about like, wow, man, I really enjoyed this. I didn't know you had so much fun or I didn't know it was so rewarding. And I do want to hear a little bit about, wow, man, this is hard and annoying. I just want to know one or one of each just, just so I can kind of, what is it? Misery loves company. So I can kind of, uh, enjoy yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I think the, the first thing it taught me is that if my character dies, it's fine. Um, I can always build another character. It's it's it, it's okay. Um, when when you're a DM and you're you know you get into these characters and you're losing multiple characters per session, you get you kind of get over that. Okay, this guy's gone now. Um, type thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm always going to play my characters as they should be till their last breath. But it 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 just it taught me not to again not to see them as so precious. Um, things that I really enjoy is guiding a story for my friends and them getting enjoyment out of it. That is one of my biggest positives and joys than, that I've taken from this is I absolutely love that I can create this world for my, my friends and, and draw them in much like you did to me and say, look, let's have some fun. And they're at the end of, um, the first session, I thought I almost lost them and I'll get into that one a second. But uh, after the second and, uh, and third sessions, I know I have them. They're, they're absolutely hooked. Um, but it was me trying to figure out what they wanted. So the first session that I did with my players, um, I had to learn the hard way about certain things. And the first thing is I like, okay, I want to throw a bunch of little different things at them to see what works and what doesn't so that I'll know how to guide the story moving forward. Not realizing that, you know, in session one, you could lose people very quickly and very easily because especially for these guys, it was the first time they had all played except for one of my players who had played only a couple times with me prior. And I did technical stuff like a chase. Great example. Not something often used in games, but there's a chase mechanic. And I, and I had them go through that and they did not like it at all. (laughs) It was super confusing to them. They didn't understand why random things were happening they couldn't. They, they got so frustrated where they could see the guy on the board. They're like, "Why can't I just go up and stab him?" And I'm like, "Well, you don't have the speed to do that." And there's mechanics like I had a wizard who was like, "I cast sleep," and I'm like, "It's immune to sleep." She's like, "Oh, you're just saying that because you don't want to get caught." And I'm like, "No, no, the character actually says immune to sleep." And you think a level one spell is going to end this thing on day one <laughs> on the very first turn? Um, so I learned that you know. Just because it looks cool to you doesn't mean your players are going to like it. Um, I, I gave them the chase mechanic because I was just wanting to expose them to different things. At the first portion of it was role play, and I had two players that were role playing really well, and I had three players that didn't role play at all. In fact, they got annoyed by the role play. And then I had the chase, and then finally the fight. And I realized that my group likes fighting. And I mean, that shouldn't have been a, a, a shock or a surprise, but that was the one thing I drew from that. So I'm like, okay. So this module that I got is based around a little bit of role play at the beginning, but then fight, 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 and they've been having a great time. So a lot, you know, a lot of it is reading the room, as you're doing with me right now on this podcast. The sort of things that I enjoy. Uh, I personally really love the role play aspect of stuff. I like to get more into that. We've had some some of my favorite uh, things that we've had have been role play based. Uh, we got some really talented people in our group, um, which I give full credit to them. Um, and sometimes my character does stupid shit and we had (laughs) that Apple thing. I still, I just, I still laugh to this day and it shouldn't have happened by the rule book should never have happened. DM allowed it and the story went better for it. 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, that's you're you're here to have fun, and I don't think there's any better way to end uh, the podcast with that. Blair, if people want to get into contact with you, reach out to you, what's the best way? Uh, first of all, you can reach me on Twitter uh, at Blair Beverage. Uh, you can reach me on Twitch at Blair Beverage. I, I am scream, uh, st- screaming, streaming, spro- oh my God, words, sporadically right now. Um, but yeah, go over there, give me a follow, put on the notification. Uh, right now I'm doing some Fall Guys, some Among Us, some Star Wars, The Old Republic. You know, who knows? I'm just playing a game, talking with the community, just trying to, you know, say hey to everyone. And uh, the big thing, though, is uh, the Harley Human podcast. Uh, we have done one season. We're working on season two right now. Everything regarding that podcast can be found at HarleyHuman.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us well on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other places you can find podcasts. If you want to talk to me, the RPG Podcast email is myrpgpodcast at gmail.com. My personal Twitter is classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table. 